Good afternoon. Um, my name is Dion de Kock, and I'm responsible for Sub-Saharan Africa and Middle East. And um, I have to give you a regional perspective. So part of my presentation today would be to talk about regions in, in general. We have seven of them. But then really to focus in on Sub-Saharan Africa and Middle East to give you some examples of how all things come together that my colleagues have spoken about earlier today because I think, um, or I know, that everything that we do in the end is focused towards our customer. Um, it's uh, in preparation for this presentation, um, I realized that it's a huge responsibility and it's my first capital markets day, but then I realized it should actually be an easy job because if you and your colleagues know what you're doing and you understand what your role is in the new way of working and you believe in it, then it's easy to present it. And I assure you that we believe in what we do and in the new way of working. So I want to remind you a little bit what we went through in the regions. Um, in each of the seven regions, uh, there was a transformation from moving from four industries into two industries, um, one region and one digital approach. And, and what did that mean? I wanted to remind you a little bit about the before picture. As uh, Lars spoken about, there was four P&Ls, four business divisions, and in any multinational you have a matrix organization. But this was a very complex matrix organization. And the fact of the matter is because of the four business divisions, it was very difficult for us um, to leverage our critical mass and our resources. And it was difficult for us to offer the full lifecycle offering, to offer full flow sheet uh, solutions, and to really um, also exploit our critical mass. Um, but I think the most difficult part of the organization for us in the front line was the fact that these four divisions, we had our own go-to-market plan. So that means different sales and distribution channels, some direct, some indirect. It meant that there was a different demarcation of the regions for these various uh, sales channels. Um, and it was really difficult then to have a uniform and coordinated approach to your customers. So that was the reason that we changed the organization to serve our customers better and to have a better um, offering on the table in terms of what F.L. Smith has to offer in its entirety. Um, and that little arrow there in the middle for us meant a lot of things. First of all, it was to move from four divisions to two industries and one region. One region that represents F.L. Smith in its entirety. Um, and if you look at that arrows there to go to the new way of working, it meant that we had to strip out all sales resources or order to delivery people and combine that into one unified sales force. We had to strip out and optimize all of the shared services in HR, finance, um, safety, health, and so forth, as well as procurement to make that a shared resource throughout the region. We had to create and combine the expertise into teams especially in engineering and product line management, that we could support our new sales and service network. Because the last thing you want to do is be in front of the customer, have sales and service people, but they're not supported by expertise in the region or globally by industry. Um, and what we also had to do was to relinquish our responsibility in terms of project management and engineering to the industry so that we could free up scarce resources and that we can focus on what we do well, which is to serve the customers and to sell. Um, 
And of course, in any change management, there was some reluctance to relinquish that responsibility to industries because you were used to, in the old way of working, to be self-sufficient, to be in an isolated environment where you had to cater for your own needs. Today, with a new way of working, we don't have to ask for help. We can demand that help from industries in terms of expertise, project management, and engineering. Um, and um, last but not least, um, what we had to do here um, was also to take ownership of our new structure. And um, it was quite easy for the people to do that because that's what we wanted in the region. So with a new way of working, um, Lars also talked a little bit about the new PNL, And I can assure you that there's no, no way to hide, no place to hide for a region president or for the salespeople in the organization because we have full accountability for the business result and the, uh, and, and, and the business in its entirety. The industry presidents have the responsibility for the PNL uh, to EBITDA level, so they look at us. So there's that matrix organization that makes sure that there's no place to hide. And there's also the responsibility of digital. And then we have on top of that, I have my boss, Thomas Schultz, and Lars on my back about serving the customers well and really growing the business. So is that a negative thing for a person in the front line to have no place to hide? Definitely not. It's the opposite. We have full ownership and accountability, and that's highly motivating for the sales force and the service force in the front line. Um, and it's one thing to have accountability and responsibility, but I can assure you that we are fully supported, empowered, and enabled to serve and to sell and to have that close customer relationship. So this is the seven regions, um, and to you it may just look like a map, but for the region presidents and the regional perspective, this is quite significant. The regional demarcation is a critical success factor for customer intimacy because we own that region. We own the customers. We own that relationship, and we feel proud of that. So we really have, when we look at this, I have Carsten here, the region president for um, uh, North Europe, Ach, Europe, Russia, and North Af Africa, and he would agree with me that this demarcation here, which is now applicable to FL Smith in its entirety for all the products that we offer and all the customers in our region. That gives us really a good playing field. We're playing the sales and service game, and we want to win that. And in that playing field, we now know what's happening in our own backyard in all aspects. Um, we always talk in our region about working together and working as a team. And um, you would agree with me that working together is a waste of time. Because when you work together, you sometimes have too many resources in one area or on one function, and in some areas too little. It's ineffective, it's a waste of time, and therefore we had some white spots. White spots in the way we service the customers and white spots in terms of what we had to offer. So it's much better to work as a team. We rely on your teammates in the other seven regions, on your teammates in the industry, your teammates in, in digitalization, and in the group to do what they're supposed to do so that we can sell and service. Um, also, in this uh, demarcation, it gives us the full PL responsibility. Like I said, it gives us the opportunity to offer now full life cycle support, the full entire flow sheet offering, and to give the guarantee and to back our customers up. So, before I move on to the next slide, I want to talk a little bit about Region 4, Sub Saharan Africa and Middle East. It's quite a unique region. Um, and is that my time? <laughs> I was thinking it's the opposite way around. 
So, um, in this region, Sub-Saharan Africa and Middle East, it's, it's a big region. It's 43 countries. And this region is made up of a diverse set of um, uh, countries. It's different languages, different cultures, and so forth. It's huge. You can fit the whole of USA, China, and France, and Germany into Africa and Middle East. You don't realize that, but it's really huge. And therefore, the new way of working is the right way of working because we can be close to our customers to have local responsiveness and backed up by the global organization. The other thing about our region, we have the typical geopolitical trends like war, sanctions, um, political unrest, nationalism, indigenization laws, crime and corruption, and so forth. But this is the end we dealt with in the region, and it's not unique to our region. Um, I've been reminded in preparation for this uh, presentation that I shouldn't tell a sob story to you about the geopolitical situation in our country, but the new way of working allows us to address that issue and to turn that adversity into opportunity. Travel is a big issue for us in our region because it's vast. Travel security is an issue. You need visas, work permits. Um, just to go to a customer visit for me in the DRC takes me three days for a two-hour meeting. Um, and that's an, yet another reason to be closer to your customer, to have localization, to appoint people where we operate, where we have the installed base. Before, we couldn't do that because we didn't have the critical mass. Uh, the installed base was serviced by some more people. So we we um, set up ourselves up to be closer to the customer. This is our region. It's 800 employees. We've got three manufacturing plants, and more of 60% of the people are customer-facing people. In mining, we've got 395 operational mines, and we produce about or process about 1 billion ton of um, um, uh, minerals. And the interesting thing there for mining is that um, in our region, we produce about 75% of the global production of platinum. Um, that poses a huge opportunity for us, and then also you will see gold is quite prominent in our region. And with gold price at the 1,500 ton per fine ounce, it's quite um, an attractive market to be in. So we, of our installed base, our share of wallet, the way we've calculated, we've got about 14%, so there's exciting room for growth there. On cement, the message is that there's overcapacity, um, and uh, while mining is a global um, uh, trend, uh, cement is very localized. So while we have overcapacity in our region, there is pockets, like Jan has shown in his presentation, that um, has capacity constraints where they will invest in capacity, and that's predominantly in West Africa and East Africa. So exciting um, prospects for us, still huge opportunity to grow, predominantly in the aftermarket, and we're well positioned to do that. So what was the immediate impact of the new way of working? First of all, you had to get buy-in and commitment from the team and from the region presidents. And that was easy. That was immediate. And the reason for that was that we knew that we had to do that to serve the clients better. The, same, the, the next one was that we really had to get buy-in from the team members. So these are the things that we did. Um, the most uh, uh, important one was that we really focused on the four-tier um, structure to serve our customers, where we had head office sales, account sales, mining site sales, field service, and owning people to really focus on serving the customers well. Um, we've gone in many of the areas because of our critical mass to direct sales channels uh, to be closer to the customer and to take it over from dealers and distributors. Um, we've doubled the size of our super center, and at the moment, I can say that our customer-facing people have, have increased significantly. 
We've talked about the white spots. Um, one of that uh, was in Ghana. And the reason we have particularly mentioned Ghana is it's in West Africa. It's well known for gold, but it's also a big uh, cement producing area. When we talk about Ghana and West Africa, we've established our office there in 2018. And that's when we um, actually changed it from uh, an existing trading entity to a full trading entity that you can do manufacturing, sales, and also um, uh, repair work. Um, I want to mention that while the establishment date is there in 2018, already in 2017, before the new wave working, our colleagues in, 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 in Europe and in states and in South Africa service Ghana, and we realized the need that we have to have closer collaboration. So the branch was established, subsidiary established in 2017, and then changed into a full trading entity in 2018. And we employ about 15 people there. It's all Ghanaians. The general manager is a Ghanaian, and we pride ourselves in employing local people because they're highly competent, they are local, and it addresses all of the issues that we've talked about um, uh, that we have challenges in our area. You have to think about Ghana and the ECOWAS countries, which is the economic West African states as a whole. Um, we have our head office in Accra, but we also have an office in Nigeria to look after the cement business, and we will soon have a super center, a small super center in Tarqua, closer to the customer to serve our installed base. So there's huge opportunity for growth in Ghana, and um, uh, since we've established ourselves in 2018, which was the full first, uh, full, first full year of operations, we've grown the business to 60%. That's all aftermarket business. And for the budget of the guidance for next year, or target for next year, we believe that we'll grow it with another 40%. The potential for us in Ghana is to have continued rapid growth um, of that magnitude for the next three to four years. And it's driven by the fact that there's high exploration in gold, Gold opportunities is huge there. There's five top-tier mining companies that operate in that area, and they're expanding um, in production and output and sweating their assets, and we are positioned there to serve them. Um, like I say, we shouldn't confuse um, uh, Ghana and West Africa only with mining. There's also huge uh, cement activity. We produce about 80 million tons per annum of um, cement there, and the opportunity for us there is very big because we had the other day a symposium in Lagos where we had uh, 32 people attending that symposium and we're already seeing the RFQs for uh, cement coming in. At the moment, um, we signed an agreement there to service 16 kilns. Of that 16 kilns, only two is our own, which means we're attacking the competitive uh, market and the competitor installed base and because we are in-country, because we have the expertise and we have quite a unique value proposition, we got those agreements. Um, what's also important there is that um, there's laws and regulations in Ghana. I, I talked about it a little bit about the indigenization laws, is that you have to be in-country, in and therefore our setup serves that purpose well. We have to accelerate our investment in Ghana, and we've approved that. We'll go ahead to be closer to the customer and exploit this wonderful market, both for mining and cement. The next um, white spot that we had was in Saudi, and the white spot here was really for mining, not so much for cement. Um, in Saudi, from an F.L. Smith perspective, we look at the business and we think about um, uh, Saudi as cement revenue. 
And the reason for that was that we didn't leverage our resources and expertise to exploit the market with mining. Um, in um, Saudi, we've established our aid office in 2018. The first thing we did in quarter three last year after we announced the new way of working was that all of the colleagues from three different continents that played in Saudi met with each other and realized soon that there's enough installed base, critical mass, and opportunities to establish a branch, which we did. Since then, we've appointed a general manager, Abdullah. He's a, local, he's a Saudi national, and all 13 people that we've appointed in the past year for mining are all Arab-speaking nationals to serve the purpose locally. Um, uh, we have about 50 people working there. 33 of them is in our own plant for cement. Um, on the right-hand side is just a map of the mine installations and the cement installations. In Saudi, we have a very, very good relationship with our customers, um, especially on the mining side. The reason I'm showing you this picture, we recently signed an agreement. Like Jan has mentioned, our focus is not so much on O&M anymore, on the O part. Where we can, we do not want to operate plants, but we certainly want to provide them the expertise to, um, to exploit the, cap, uh, the service markets. And the, in this plant management contract with Yanwar, we've got 33 people. And when we signed this agreement, we realized that we have a shortage of staff and skilled resources. And for that reason, we agreed with Yanbo that we have a joint venture for a training academy. And the purpose of that training academy is to train people that can work in our plants, that can serve the purposes of our needs in the cement industry, but also in the greater Gulf cooperation of countries. So what does that do for us? It really lifts our image as a productivity provider um, and it really builds ambassadors in that training course for people that will be familiar with our products and that will use it in future. Um, and to do that, you have to have that customer intimacy. So Saudi, the message that I have here, it's an opportunity for massive growth. And we are there. As F.L. Smith, we had the courage of our conviction to establish the branch, to appoint people, and to be local. And we will strengthen that position. Um, since we've established our branch, the first half of this year, um, if we take the full year and we extrapolate it, we will double the business um, in 2019. And next year, we see that we will have about a 50% year-on-year growth. All of this coming from the aftermarket. And while we position ourselves well for the aftermarket, there's huge opportunity in Saudi also for us for upgrades and retrofits in the cement side and greenfield projects for mining. Vision 2030 for Saudi is that they will invest 400 billion rand to develop mining as the third pillar of their economy. The other day they announced they've invested $3.8 billion just to make it easier for companies to access geological data and mining data and to remove red tape so that it's easier to do business. It's totally different than what it was two, two years ago and it's much, much more open for business. Um, if you look at their ambition. They want to triple the gold production. They want to add another 3 million tons per annum of phosphate. To do that, they need people like um, F.L. Smith, and we are there. On the cement side, you know, we are targeting, again, the competitor installed base, and the reason for that is simply that we can offer aftermarket. There's 46 kiln lines in Saudi. Only three of that is ours, but we service 75% of them. At the moment, a big opportunity for us in Saudi for cement, where we're growing fast in the aftermarket, is, is that we're converting gray lines into white lines in the cement. And we also have opportunities where the local government will soon stop the um, subsidies 
and uh, and so forth on um, the heavy fuel oil as a, 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 a and they will then put a heavy opportunity on us that we can go to pet coke or to coal and in that instance they will be coal mill business for us as opposed to the global environment all the cement players in Saudi are big local world class players like Yambo Cement and Kwasim Cement so there the message is clear there's big opportunity for first mover gains. We are in there. We're going to strengthen that. We're going to focus on the aftermarket. We've seen tremendous growth there, and we will position ourselves extremely well when the Greenfield Projects comes in. Exciting opportunity for us in Saudi. So we talked a lot about digitalization. There's three examples of digitalization in the front line. Um, the one at the top is a bulk expert system where you do a train loadout system, and the loadout is automated. It's optimized and you immediately impact the customer's bottom line in terms of efficiency, productivity, and output. Um, like I say, all digitalized, all automated, and all in the cloud, fully visible. The other project is um, the blue box that um, uh, Michael referred to on two occasions. Um, the plant on the right-hand side, I got permission from the customer this morning. It's AfriSAM. It's a leading supplier of cement um, in sub-Saharan Africa and Middle East. And they fitted uh, their plant at Dartfield with the uh, blue boxes, and the aim is to roll it out to all of their plants. Um, the reflux classifier plant is a project at Sabani Stillwater where the plant is fully visible, controlled uh, remotely, with that blue box and field agent so that you can do your diagnostics, your test, and your control of the plant remotely or on your mobile device. The reason I've put these projects is not so much, oh, on the right-hand corner there, of course, robotic labs with sampling preparation and analysis we can do. In that instance, you really position yourself in the value chain with a customer to impact his bottom line immediately. And it ticks all the boxes about digitalization, automation, and serving the customer. Except for the robotic labs, all of the other examples is not so much about the money. It's where you position yourself as a company and where you engage with the customer's organization. It's also that you are now in a position to relate intimately with a customer for him to give you the opportunity to access his plans, to monitor his plans, and then you can affect his outcome, his cost of per ton produce. Or, or, or his production capacity or increase. Um, and also to do this, I want to mention that when you talk digitalization, there's two things, two key success factors in the front line. The first one is that you have to know what you can offer and that you have to have a consistent strategy. And we're quite unique that we've appointed the chief digitalization officer. Digitalization is common theme throughout all of the presentations that we saw today. And what we do in the front line is not by chance uncoordinated and in isolation. It forms part of the overall global strategy. The second thing is that you have to have an intimate relationship with the customer. Customer intimacy is a key success factor for digitalization. And that intimacy you can only get with a new way of working where you're in the front line and close to the customer. The next project that I've put up there as an example uh, is a plant. We've put it under sustainability, and the reason for sustainability is simple. It ticks all the boxes in this instance, and why do I say that? In short, this plant is a mo modular plant, and what it does, it recovers waste stream chrome. From the UG2 plants where they produce platinum, there's a waste stream. This will typically go to a tailings dam or a tailings dump, environmental hazard, 
and a big risk for the mines. No value. This plant is fully F.L. Smith. It's authentically F.L. Smith. With 90% of that plant, F.L. Smith, except the green part. And Thomas asked me about the green photo. But um, this plant recovers waste crumb, and it turns that liability into an asset. Um, we've created about uh, 45 jobs in that area, and um, the government is interested in what we do with the model because we not only tick the boxes of sustainability in the mining industry, we also tick the boxes of sustainability in job creation, and not by cannibalizing other jobs, creating new jobs. Um, it's a very exciting opportunity, and we will be in production at the end of this month. And in this instance, uh, we will have a high probability of turning a totally aftermarket-related uh, uh, environment into greenfield opportunities. This is the only capital project for Sabania Stillwater in 18 months. When Manfred and I went to the launch, they made it clear that that was the only capital investment that they've made in 18 months in South Africa, which is quite an achievement for F.L. Smith. So to close off, as a region, we are very well positioned as productivity provider number one. We've implemented the new way of working. We've staffed with due regard. We've covered the white spots and where we haven't done it, we are really pushing to cover that. We are really positioned well and we have no excuses not to offer the full offering, not to give the life cycle support and not to serve the customer. Um, you will see from the global result and also for our regional result that we've had an extremely strong growth in the aftermarket. Um, we've got great teams now in seven regions and two industries and we have a strong fighting spirit to um, grow and to win the game that we play and that's to sell and to service the customers. And if there's one thing that I can tell you today, while capital business is very erratic, up and down, aftermarket business is consistent it's there. We have the installed base. We are mobilized towards that aftermarket. And while we've seen very positive growth and development in the aftermarket order intake, from a regional perspective where I'm sitting, and Karsten can echo that um, for um, Europe, North, uh, North Africa, and um, Russia, the best is yet to come in terms of aftermarket. The growth in aftermarket will follow. And next year, you will see significant changes in that area. But it's one thing for me to talk. What does the customer say? Um, for us, the customer is king. For Lars, cash is king. But um, are you still awake? <laughs> so, no. But anyway, for, for us, the customer is king. And we've checked with the customer before and after. And they have overwhelmingly supported the new way of working. They believe in it as we do, and I can say that today we are extremely um, confident that we can offer uh, what we promise. We are confident that we can back up our promise as productivity provider. And I have to say that um, I feel proud to say today that our vision of we drive success through sustainable productivity enhancement is not just words in the region. It's a reality and our mission every day. Thank you very much. Any questions? Uh, thank you. That's Arsene from Credit Suisse. Uh, my question is around aftermarket demand in Central Africa. One of your UKP is a mining company, a mining equipment company, who reported yesterday 
they flagged some weakness in aftermarket demand in Central Africa because of uh, destocking uh, from customers because of a, uh, a tax, a new tax reform in Zambia, and then also some operational issues at their customers. Uh, how big is your exposure to that region, and do you see similar trends um, at the moment? Yeah. So in Central Africa, uh, this is an area where we don't have our own subsidiary. We go to that market through dealers and distributors. Um, but it's still a very important area for us because it's copper, it's growth, it's capital projects. So our exposure there um, at the moment is in terms of the customers that we service um, uh, and whether we travel to that regions, but we always make sure that we travel. And, of course, if they cannot pay us, but we manage our debt and um, our exposure with them well. But with regards to um, setups in that area, we go to the market with the indirect sales channel. Klaus Antler from Nordea. We heard before that FLS is one of them with the biggest or broadest product offering. How important is that for you when you're going out selling aftermarket services? I just want to make sure that I understand so how important it is to have that wide suite of offering. Yes. Yeah, I think it's really important for us, and it's a big enabler. Because if we are not able to go to the market with a full flow sheet and with the entire offering, we are being commoditized, and we become an equipment salesman. And if you commoditize selling single pieces of equipment, it ends down on two things, price and price. So with the entire offering that we have, we can offer a specific outcome, we can guarantee a specific outcome, we can give them a solution, and we can then also utilize and leverage that full offering to also offer better service and support afterwards because you have the critical mass. It's a huge enabler. It's, 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 it's very exciting for a salesman to have more in his repertoire to sell. And remember, they are all experts in a certain field that we offer. And in the areas where they're not, they are backed up by the regional product line managers or by the global product line managers. Okay, and then the second question uh, coming to pricing. So when you're coming out with this sustainable, sustainability product, do you see a improved pricing position uh, or is it actually just um, a normal evolution of, of product development? It's a difficult question. It depends. In certain areas, it's very very easy to sell the value proposition because in the eye of the beholder, the customer, it's immediately perceived as additional value, and he may have pressure from legislation or elsewhere, um, regulations, that he adopts that and he's willing to pay a premium. But in many of the instances, we have to really fight hard to illustrate that you can charge a premium for that sustainability or digitalization. But... What I want to say is if you're not going to be able to offer that in future, you will be disqualified from the table and you will not be sitting at the table. So it will take us some time uh, to create that value, to demonstrate that value, and to prove that value. But there will be people that will be falling by the wayside because they are not able to offer sustainability and digitalization. Thanks. Thank you.